What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. I am joined today for the Cheat Code podcast by Ben Solak. Ben, we have got a great slate of games to go through today. I can't wait for this week. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But let's start with a compelling Sunday night football matchup for NFC dominance. We've got the Dallas Cowboys taking on the 3-3 and Minnesota Vikings. Right now, the Dallas Cowboys are road favorites of just under three points. This is a really, I want to say, fishy line a little bit, Ben. They're letting you get Dallas without even laying a full three points here. Dallas has not failed to cover the spread at any point in time this year. They're 5-1 and one straight up. They're getting healthier um, and they're going up against the Minnesota Vikings team here. Both these teams are off of a bye. I want to first start on the defensive side of the ball. Mike Zimmer's defense looked like a disaster the first couple of weeks of the season, even the first half of their week three game against the Seattle Seahawks. But they seem to find something or at least improved a little bit. And statistically, they've looking, looked substantially better. But overall on the season, this is a team that has ranked number six defensively, despite playing the eighth toughest schedule of opposing offenses. But, Ben, the last couple of games, they have played two of the worst offenses in the NFL. The number 28th-ranked Lions, the number 30th-ranked Panthers, and then they had a bye. Is this schedule helping to improve Mike Zimmer's defense? Is it making them look better than what they really are? Is there anything specifically that you've observed by this defense that they've done to improve themselves over the course of the season? Yeah, I, I do think it's a little bit of fool's gold in terms of what we're getting from the Vikings defense. And I don't like saying that because one of the guys that you trust in the league is Mike Zimmer. Like, come hell or high water, Mike Zimmer's defense is going to do something good. 
Like that, there's just that he is, he has earned that tenure over the course of his time in Minnesota. And I think there was a uh, hype about this defense coming into the season. And I wasn't so sh- sold that, you know, Bashad Breeland and Patrick Peterson were going to be that good of a duo. And they obviously had to figure out their edge situation with Daniel Hunter coming back and Everson Griffin coming back. The Vikings right now are they're their they're first impression rate so far in the 2021 season uh, through six games for them, seven through others. Obviously, they're first in sack rate as well. Their their uh, hurry numbers are 19.7 percent. The next closest is 15.9 percent. That's the Steelers. They are harassing opposing quarterbacks. And they're doing it with a, a, a moderate blitz rate, right? So this is your Mike Zimmer. We're going to line up with four down. We're going to take multiple linebackers, multiple safeties. We're going to put them up in the gaps. We're going to show you six. We're going to show you seven. And we're only going to send four of them, but you don't know which four are coming. And that is really difficult for offenses to deal with. That's what Zimmer's been doing for a long time. Nobody does it better than him on third down. Nobody does it better in terms of taking advantage of tendency. He gets gnarly with it. But, when you look back at those quarterbacks that they faced, uh, Sam Darnold, Jared Goff, even Baker Mayfield, even uh, uh, Russell Wilson, who's viewed as a really good quarterback, these are quarterbacks who are particularly susceptible to the blitz packages. These are quarterbacks who are particularly uh, uh, affected, like Sam Darnold seeing ghosts, you know what I mean? Affected by getting all those guys on the line of scrimmage and then throwing that chaos around. I've said it, I think, on this show before, the dude who's not, the dude who I trust in this context is Dak Prescott. Uh, and when you go back to that game against the Panthers, number one, they're able to run the ball really well. But number two, Carolina was a really blitz-heavy team with some crazy stuff, simulated pressures everywhere. And Dak's able to handle that. He 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 is as cerebral as any quarterback in the league. And so while I like Zimmer's defense, and I always view that unit as a very high-floor unit, especially coming off of a bye, expect them to be well-planned, have some nice, gnarly little blitzes that'll take advantage of, of the Cowboys' tendencies. They'll get a cheeky sack here or there. I have more trust right now in how Prescott's playing than Zimmer's ability to kind of maximize a unit that, to me, the talent just isn't as much there. Yeah, I think that's, the, that's I'm in dead agreement with you there. I think Mike Zimmer, a lot of people in the gambling space up to maybe a year or two ago were just all over Zimmer, Zimmer at home, Zimmer, everything like they loved betting on Mike Zimmer and he's got a great cover rate against the spread. But a little bit of luster has worn off. Maybe it's, the defensive personnel that he's had to work with, maybe it's some teams playing better and matching up better against some of the things that he's been trying to do, but he hasn't been quite as compelling. That being said, this is a raucous environment. Sunday night, they have the loud crowd noise that refracts off of the stadium roof. It's one of the noisiest and most hostile places to play. Historically, since they built this place, has had one of the best home field advantages for the Minnesota Vikings here. And Zimmer's ATS record has performed extremely well um, in these spots. Now, Dallas is near league average in early down run rate, and they have a top 10 pass offense. They have the number two offense in overall early down efficiency, Ben. On the ground, they're averaging 5.5 yards per carry on every first down rushing attempt, best record in the league. Through the air, 43.7% of Dak Prescott's pass attempts have resulted in a first down or a touchdown, the best in the league. They've also put up 35 plus points in four straight games. So this is a high impact team on first down. They've been doing great, whether it's on the ground or through the air. Meanwhile, on the season, Minnesota is allowing the third highest EPA per rush on first downs. They've allowed five yards per carry and a 59% success rate. So in this specific matchup against the Cowboys, 
with how good Dallas is on first down specifically. We know how much that impacts the rest of a series, the ability to pick up another first down, Ben. It's such a humongous down. It's more important than third down, in my opinion, is your production on first down. How can Mike Zimmer try to slow down this great Dallas Cowboys first down offense? Uh, It's a tricky ask. Uh, What Dallas is able to do right now in terms of the versatility of their running game is really sick, right? Uh, because of of the personnel that that Mike Zimmer has had, it, it, and obviously, like it's not it's not that he was dealt this hand by somebody else. Like this is the way that he's built this defense. But they have two linebackers who they really don't want to take off the field, right? Uh, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, Nick Vigil, right, has played I think seventy three percent of the snaps about this season. Uh, they like to have linebackers on the field. If you go heavy base personnel, Dallas will put. 12, uh, 12 personnel out there, right? They'll put two tight ends out there, Blake Jarwin, Dalton Schultz, and spread you out. Uh, and so now they're taking your linebackers, they're putting them in space. And listen, Eric Kendricks is a good linebacker, but linebacker in space is never where you want to be as a defense. If you try to go nickel and you try to go light and acknowledge the fact that Dalton Schultz has been a really good receiver, Blake Jarwin's a guy who can get down the field, the Cowboys can spread it out. They're such a good passing offense. They'll take both those tight ends, put them in on the line of scrimmage. They'll bring in that extra offensive lineman. They're, I think it's Connor McGovern is their sixth guy off the bench who they put at fullback and they put him at, at, at tackle over and put him at tight end. And they'll jam straight down your throat. Uh, I mean, like they, they'll, they'll run duo to the cows come home because Zeke's got some of the best vision, the best finishing ability that any running back in the league has. Then they'll get Zeke and Pollard on the field with you at the same time. So now they got two backs. There's no way you're not matching that in base. Pollard can go catch, right? Pollard can go get out into space and now he's causing problems. They have such multiplicity that it's a matter of, of take away what you want and then accept that the, the Cowboys are going to get something else on you. I would imagine that the approach is not dissimilar to how the Patriots had it. The Patriots did everything they could to take away uh, one receiver. Uh, it was CeeDee Lamb early with their, their star corner, J.C. Jackson. You'll probably see that with Patrick Peterson. You'll probably see man coverage on the other guy, Bashad Breeland, who's been playing pretty well as far as catch-all metri- metrics would show us. They'll probably try to live with man coverage there, get Harrison Smith down in the box, and take away that early down run. I'm not sure they can, just because of how well the Dallas offense is playing, how varied those running schemes are that you get. But that's probably what you do. is You 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 take Peterson, you brought in, Breeland, who you brought in, both of whom are playing decently well this year, and you say... Win for us on the outside. It's CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. It sucks, but that's what we need from you guys right now. Yeah, it's going to be a very tough ask, as you mentioned. Now, if Dak is limited in any way, right? He was dealing with a calf issue right before the bye. They say he's going to be close to 100%. Does anything change with this offense? Because clearly his mobility is such an asset. He doesn't often utilize it to like actually just sprint and take off down the field, but his mobility in the pocket to still throw on the run, to extend plays at times, uh, it just, I don't want to say unparalleled, but he's doing it among the best of any quarterbacks right now in the league. Uh, where do you see that hurting this Cowboys offense specifically in this matchup if he is not quite 100% there with his mobility? Right. So it's funny because we talk about the guy, the calf injury. I've got two things in my head, right? I've got mobility, but then I also have uh, the, you know, the throw chain, the power chain, explosiveness through the mechanics, right? We saw... Dak Prescott go up against a healthy Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense when his arm clearly was not 100% coming off the shoulder injury in week one and still like find a way to get it done. You know what I mean? He's an impressive quarterback in that regard. So to the degree to which we have power drain, right? And and he doesn't feel as comfortable firing off that calf. Maybe the adjusted platform throws aren't as good. I have confidence given what I've seen that he can deal with that. The mobility is, is the bigger concern because all of that 
you know, Prescott's so good against the blitz. He's so good against these blitz looks and then these mug fronts and whatever. You got to be able to uh, make those small adjustments in the pocket. You have to be springy. You have to be quick. Uh, calf can affect that. The other thing is that the Cowboys love third and goal, you know, second and goal from the four, critical fourth and one late in the game to pull out that option, right? They'll just go speed option out of nowhere. They haven't done this all game and then boom, they'll do it because Prescott's like, He's like, you know, it's like the Tannehill effect where he's got like six carries, but they're all like plus 25 EPA because they, they use it in such critical spots. If you're worried about the calf, you lose that wrinkle, which is just a nice wrinkle they love on those critical downs. Inconvenient, not a huge problem, but just something to be aware of. Now, on the other side of the ball, which we haven't talked about yet, Ben, the Minnesota Vikings have been actually very efficient when they're throwing the football. And this is not something that Kirk Cousins has necessarily struggled with in the past. Like this is a team that likes to run the football, but they're actually quite efficient when you pass it. And if you look at the Dallas Cowboys defense, they've done quite well against first down runs. We're talking a lot about first downs in this game, but it's going to be a big down, in my opinion, based to try to be predictive of what these results are going to be. First down runs versus Dallas on the season are minus... 0.09 EPA per attempt. That's the ninth best run defense in the NFL. But first down passes versus the Cowboys, and we're talking first half of games, which are uh, of utmost importance. First down passes plus 0.17 EPA. That ranks Dallas as the 21st best offense against passes on first down. Those passes, not only do they rank 21st, Dallas is allowing an NFL worst 10.7 yards per pass attempt and the third worst success rate of 67% when teams in the first half throw the football on first down against the Cowboys defense. Now, Minnesota has improved their first down pass rate over the first half of games over the last three years. So back in 2019, this team was only 43% pass, which was way below the NFL average, one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL. That improved a little bit 2020 from 43%. They were running it 48% of the time, sorry, passing it 48% of the time, so 5% higher pass rate. And then this season so far, they're at 53% pass, which is actually 2% above average. So they're going more pass heavy in general than what they've been in the past. Um, But they should be actually even more pass heavy, in my opinion, Ben. That's because when you look at the metrics, and I know the Dalvin Cook hasn't been there for a couple of weeks. Madison's racked up a lot of uh, total production during the games that uh, Cook was out. But runs on first down in the first half of games are minus 0.09 EPA per attempt, four yards per carry, and a 40% success rate. EPA per play ranks number 22 in the league. But passes for the Vikings offense, plus 0.25 EPA per attempt, 7.6 yards per attempt, and 60% success. That ranks number eight in terms of their EPA per pass attempt. So they're significantly better when they're passing the football, uh, but they don't pass the ball as much as I think that they should. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons why they're so great in catch-up mode because they do actually have a very productive offense. And so if you get Mike Zimmer's team trailing by eight, nine, 10 points and they feel like they've got to move away from the run, they can go to this pass-first offense on first down and get right back into the games or put up points quickly to either maybe cover a larger spread than this one in garbage time or send a game over the total. Uh, but you don't really see them come out the gates with this too often. What do you see as the best way for this Vikings offense to attack the weaknesses of the Cowboys defense? Yeah, that that sensation is uh, unfortunately likely a, a remnant of that philosophy that if we're going to be a play action pass team, we need to run 
in order to be a play action pass team, right? Like mm-hmm. that that's all uh, to me, like knowing how Zimmer thinks about the game, thinking about who they had previously in terms of their the offensive coordinator with Kubiak, uh Gary Kubiak, that is the dad, not Clint Kubiak, who's the son who's coordinator now. Um, I would imagine that the the belief in the building was listen, we have uh we've invested in our offensive line, we've got a great running back in Dalvin Cook, and when we pass, we want to do it out of these play action boot looks. Uh we got to be able to run on early downs in order for that to work later, which, as we know, is is on, in terms of data a fallacy. We know that you can go play action on first and ten, having not run the ball once in the game, and linebackers are still going to step up because they feel like they need to step up. That's what they've been keyed to do. Uh, this is a cover three defense, right? And and people are are excited about how much true cover one. Uh, the 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 Cowboys are playing, and that's certainly good news. But they're going to live single high, cover one, cover three. That's where you live with your condensed sets, and you go with your crossers, which is exactly what the Vikings do, right? You know, what I mean, you're going to put uh, a fullback in there, you're going to put a tight end there, you're going to make the core of the formation strong, you're going to invite three linebackers onto the field, bring them up in the line of scrimmage, and then you're going to send Thielen and Jefferson on crossers and isolation routes, and you're going to run your boots, and you're either going to make Trevon Diggs. Uh, chase him across the field, Anthony Brown chase him across the field, or if you get zone coverage, you're going to throw between the linebackers and you're going to challenge that young linebacking core, Michael Parsons, Jabril Cox, Keanu Neal is a safety now playing linebacker to get to their zone drop spots consistently, regularly play with eyes in their back of the head. It's a tough ask. And that's why you've seen this, this cover three defense kind of fall out of favor. And so to me, Vikings pass a game nicely built to, to take advantage of this Cowboys group. And, and we know the Cowboys right now are kind of living on turnovers. Uh, Vikings, I think, have two two interceptions thrown so far this year. Kirk generally does a pretty good job of protecting the ball. Um, so I, I see. I'm, I'm on the Cowboys. I, I, did, I was that fish who took that early line just because I, I got faith in that offense. Uh, but I do see the potential for the Vikings to be able to push points here late. We've seen them do that in years past, like you said. I think that could happen. I do want to say real quick, Patrick Peterson's on IR. That's my fault. I didn't see him on the injury report because he's been already put on injured reserve. So uh, that defensive game plan that was already tough for Mike Zimmer did a little, little, little bit harder now without Pat Pete. Yeah, definitely. Um, that That's going to be a tough loss. You cannot be down corners and guys in the secondary against this Cowboys passing attack right now. Um, on, on that side of the ball, sticking with when the Vikings have it, Dallas's defensive fire, like you said, they've been living off of turnovers, but overall, they still rank number 10 in the NFL defensively. Uh, They're 10th against the pass, 15th against the run. This is a defense that I think for everybody out there, myself included, has probably been more impressive than we initially anticipated. We thought maybe there were to be more growing pains, and really, they've gotten a lot out of this, uh, this unit, and Dan Quinn's been doing a great job in general. But the one nugget to mention here is that the Cowboys have played a lot of haves and have nots um, on offense on the other side of the football. You know, against offenses ranking 21st or worse, this is the Eagles, the Panthers, and the Giants, the Cowboys are 3-0 and and blew out all three of those teams. But against offenses ranking top 15 in the NFL, as the Vikings do, the Cowboys lost by two points to the Bucks. They won by three points over the Chargers. And they had to go to overtime to beat the Patriots in a game that the Patriots were up 21 to 20 late in the, that fourth quarter. And, you know, obviously through the pick six and everything we saw unravel from there in terms of how that the rest of that game, very exciting, of course, but the way that that game ended. Um, on first down passes, we keep talking about first downs. On first down passes in those games against those offenses of the Bucks, the Chargers, and the Patriots, the Cowboys allowed 10.1 yards per attempt, 65% success, and plus 0.16 EPA per attempt. Now, obviously, you're going to allow worst metrics against better offenses. So we're not trying to like overplay this at all. But 
do you see how how do you see this matchup in general working out for the Minnesota Vikings? I know you like the Cowboys here. Uh, I'm assuming you laid the two and a half. How much do you foresee this Vikings offense? Do you see them playing from behind? Do you see them getting back into the game late? Um, do you see this game being nip and tuck throughout? And the point total in terms of the total points forecast here opened at around 53 is now up to 54 and a half in some spots, 55. Just in general, what is your game state that you foresee playing out in this one? Yeah, I got Cowboys one and a half because that was one of my, my early CLV chases, which I've now gotten burned on back-to-back Thursday night football games, which nobody plays. So I really got to stop doing this. But I feel <laughs> good about Dallas minus one and a half. Um, yeah, I, I, right. I think it's Cowboys early. I expect Cowboys to be able to control the ball. I expect Cowboys to be able to stop the run decently well. Nobody like really locks down Dalvin Cook, but decently well. Uh, get out to that lead. Create that deficit that we talked about. Vikings try to pass their way back into the game. Uh, the Cowboys' ability to generate pressure right now is very polar, which is freaking me out a little bit. Michael Parsons and Randy Gregory both have 22 pressures on the year. The next closest edge has seven. Uh, Michael Parsons also isn't an edge. He's a linebacker. This is not real, but he's got like an absurd pass rush win rate. Uh, and so that kind of concerns me because once you start getting these wider surfaces in this play action game, you take the 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 bite out of that quick pressure from Gregory, that quick pressure from Parsons. Uh, and I'm worried Kirk's going to have a lot of time back there. And then I, I, I did a deep dive on Trevon Diggs this past week for the ringer. And I like how he plays. I like his aggressiveness. I, 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 I appreciate his explosiveness, but I do think he's a bit of a feast or famine corner. And we've got a lot of feast early. And that just feels like regression is going to come and famine is going to come. So I wouldn't be surprised if this gets a, a, a solid Cowboys lead that erodes pretty quickly. Vikings get themselves back into this game and we see ourselves coming down to the last score. If we get in that position, I'd rather be on the Cowboys side with their passing game with their quarterback. Um, but I, I could very easily see this playing out, like you said, where the, the the Vikings dig themselves a little bit of a hole with their decision-making and then end up playing their way back into it against the Cowboys passing defense that just, if they're not getting a turnover, they're probably giving up yardage. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Well, this is one game I wanted to focus on off the jump. And another game I wanted to focus on is the Bucks and Saints. And one of the reasons why I'm picking a couple of these games to talk about off the top is, as we know, and we talked about with Chris Vernon on the Monday show, public teams have been doing really well. They've been performing extremely well so far this season. Eventually, the sports books are going to get their money back. And you got a line like this, the Cowboys laying only two and a half right now on Sunday Night Football feels like a lot of the public's going to continue to pile on the Cowboys once they lose a lot of their early bets in the day, potentially, and then try to come back and chase. Um, You got another game that has a kickoff on Sunday afternoon, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Saints. And the public is once again all over another road favorite playing in a dome, in a hostile environment, a little parallel there, uh, going up against the Saints. And the Bucs played this team three times last year. And two of those games, Tom Brady was absolutely confused, and the Saints did a great job and won those games running away. The third game featured a score that didn't wasn't necessarily indicative in the postseason of the way that that game played out for most of the game. And in fact, 
the Saints were up 20 to 13, driving into Bucks territory when Jared Cook was stripped by Winfield, fumbled the ball, that flipped the game. Brady drives down, scores a touchdown, knots it up at 20 apiece. Um, and if the Saints go and score that, I think it was in the third quarter of the game and score points there, touchdown or field goal, whatever it might be, that game might end different. And we might not have the Bucks as the Super Bowl champions like we saw, but history happened and uh, the Bucks ended up coming out the victor in that one. Last week, let's start with the Bucks side of the football. On defense, we know the Bucks obliterated the Bears. And when the Bears passed on first down, they were actually relatively successful. The simple fact was they only passed the ball on 32% of their first downs in the first three quarters of the game. Um, they ran the ball 68% of the time. And these runs weren't overly negative. The Bears' biggest problem was their production on second downs, where they were absolutely terrible. They passed a lot from 11 personnel, which we know struggles against this Bucks pass rush and you know the amount of protections, the amount of disguises that you're able to put out there when you just are in 11 personnel on an obvious passing situation, not ideal. Um, they faced a lot of third downs. The Bears did. They converted only 11% of them. We know the way to attack this Bucks defense is through the air. Most teams that have played the Bucks went pass heavy. Um, you've got Jameis Winston here. This is a spot he's got a revenge on his mind, having played in Tampa Bay. Um, we know the Saints passed the ball on only 46% of early downs in the first three quarters, though. They're more of a run-based team, even though they don't have this like big, bruising workhorse back. Uh, the teams that are more run-heavy, there's only three of them in the NFL. The Tennessee Titans, who obviously have Derrick Henry. The Houston Texans, who obviously... Don't have a quarterback and don't want to win games, so they're fine with just running out the clock on the whole season. And the Chicago Bears, who don't have a lot of confidence in Justin Fields, putting him into those situations. Those are the only teams that run the ball more than do the Saints on early downs in the first three quarters. Do you anticipate the Saints making that adjustment and passing the ball more here? And if you don't, do you anticipate the Saints rushing attack having any semblance of success against this strong Bucks run defense? Yeah, I think we could get five all-pro offensive linemen and an all-pro back, and I would tell you not to run the ball against the Bucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, right. I, it, it's just it, even if you're doing it well, and like the the Bears were doing it well, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like, are you getting enough on that running down, which I, I'm imagining is going to be an early down to the point where you're able to run it again on second and feel confident and then able to run it again on third and feel confident? Probably not against this front. And so eventually you're going to get yourself into a passing situation. And I'd rather get three cracks at that egg and be able to throw the ball and, and pick up that explosive against an injured secondary than need that one passing game on third and four, right? Which obviously is a little bit conditional on who my quarterback is, right? There was a big discussion about Fields holding the football against the Bucks and running quick game and all that, John. Um, but in general, that's, I think, how you want to look at this team, especially with the corner injuries considered. When you look at the Saints and, and the way that they're playing with Jameis right now, I mean, it's the Saints aren't like great offensively, but it really is impressive. Jameis right now has 3.3% turnover-worthy plays. That's from PFF, uh, which is the lowest mark of a single season for his career comfortably. Uh, his ADOT's still at 10, which is right about where it's been historically. He's got 13 touchdowns to three interceptions. He's got 7.4 yards per attempt, which is low for his career, but not outside of the range of a lot of his early season outcomes. Like they're still finding ways to get the ball downfield. Like you're talking about 
without the usual Jameis nonsense. He's not been a very high interception player, and his uh, his he's got ten sacks on the season, which is a decently high number. But it's again like for Jameis, it's not that bad. So in general, you like what they're doing. What you're worried about is the drops. This receiving core is really, really rough right now. Um, Marquez Callaway is not a very trustworthy player. I know he had a great preseason, but as a route runner, he's not what you like. Traquan Smith's been suffering for drops. They're trying to get Kenny Stills more involved. If he's not targeting Alvin Kamara, it's a, a scary proposition in terms of the, the consistency and reliability of these Saints receivers. And so I would imagine you get against Tampa very much similar to what you got against Seattle. You replace the running game with the quick passing game to Kamara, right? You take him and you make him an underneath target. And you say, listen, you're more likely to get us a success rate with a gain, you know, five yards, six yards. If we put you one-on-one in space instead of behind six bodies like that, they, right now with how, how our, what line we're facing, that's the way we're going to do it. So we're going to replace that running game with the quick passing game to Kamara. And then we're going to look for our deep shots. And we have to hope that we don't have the drops that we did. Uh, we're going to let Jameis extend plays. He's done a good job this year moving. It looks a little bit lighter. Uh, he likes to direct people in traffic. He likes to try to make aggressive throws on the run. And we're going to try to get explosives there. But we're going to live in the quick passing game. We're going to live with Kamara quick. We're going to live with our tight ends quick. We're going to try to run some screens, get behind some blitzes. That usually works against Tampa. We're going to try to take advantage of their lack of Levante David, work the middle of the field and nickel and dime our way that way in the passing game and then if we can get an explosive or two we can hang in this thing yeah and they've been they've been doing that um with some difficulty because some of the defenses that they've played the last three three of the last uh, i think five games ranked top 10 in running back pass defense when you look at the panthers the giants and the washington football team all three of those defenses ranked top 10 in running back pass defense we then saw Kamara against the Seattle Seahawks. And I was like, holy cow, look at what this guy is doing through the air. And that's because the Seahawks ranked dead last in efficiency against running back pass defenses, uh, running back passes, sorry. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers ranked 26th defending running back passes on the season. So much weaker than some of those teams that were limiting Kamara slightly through the air um, and more akin to what Kamara was able to face last game against the mm-hmm. Seattle Seahawks. That and it's worth be- noting, excuse me for cutting you off, uh, Kamara has never had more than, has never had fewer than six targets in a game against the Bucs. Uh, and that was last year that he did it. Before that, he was getting seven, eight, 10, 12. They, like, they know what to do against this team. They've seen him for a while. Like, this is the approach that they've laid out before. Yeah. And, and, but what was interesting to me last year is that first meeting, Kamara had 10.2 yards per reception. Yeah. Was, was really impactful there. But in the second meeting, even though it was a Saints, another Saints blowout win, they, Kamara averaged only 1.8 yards per reception, right? And then in the playoff game, he only caught three of six targets. So he was targeted six times, only caught three of them. And I'm wondering if the Bucs, even though they have this season struggled against running back passes, have made Todd Bowles and company have made some adjustments that this is the number one guy we've got to take away. I mean, realistically, as you kind of mentioned, um, if you're scheming up for who to stop on this Saints team, the number one guy you've got to focus on is Kamar. You've got to stop him from having efficiency on the ground. And they're running this guy like he is that power back, that guy capable of taking a massive workload, even though he's you know a little bit smaller in stature than some of those other bigger backs that you would expect to carry the ball 20 plus times. But then his damage through the air, you've got to minimize that as well. So do you foresee the Bucks 
keying in on taking Kamara away, um, even though they're a bottom 10 pass defense against running backs this year? I think you have to, right? Like, if you're playing uh, Jamel Dean, D. Delaney, and I don't even remember who their slot was, Pierre Desir, right? If that's who you're playing, you still feel good against the Saints receiver room. Like, that's the state of New Orleans wideout room without Michael Thomas right now. So you you feel comfortable with that. The return of Levante David is is the big one, right? Which mm-hmm. as of right now, recording Wednesday morning, it's a hopeful, it's a maybe, but it's not a guaranteed. Uh, if you get him, then you feel comfortable. Very often we'll see when teams drop in, in, into man coverage, what will happen is the their two linebackers will key on the back's release, right? So whichever direction Kamara goes, the linebacker to that side of the field takes him. The other linebacker becomes the rat in the hole or he becomes a quarterback spy or he becomes the blitzer or whatever. Without Levante, that's Devin White and Kevin Minter. You like Kamara in both of those matchups by a mile. White's certainly explosive. Uh, physical dude, quick dude, but Kamara can break him off. If you get Levante in there, you like 50% of your matchups. Much, much, much better. Uh, so if Levante is there, then you're able to play some of your, your man coverage, play some of your single high shells, and expect Levante to be able to get onto Kamara. That helps you out. With no Levante, now you really have to focus on getting a safety down in the box as part of that funnel, which what, what, when those, those linebackers are keen, we, we can call it a funnel, part of that funnel on Kamara because you simply cannot put a regular run-of-the-mill linebacker on him. You saw the Seattle Seahawks do it with like decently good linebackers in Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks. Nightmare. Uh, so you got to get a safety down. That starts to change how you're going to play your shells. Uh, so you can do that, or you can blitz a lot and try to keep them in in terms of protection, but I doubt the Saints fall for that. They're way too smart for that. If you put a bunch of guys in line of scrimmage, they're just going to swing them out and throw it to them in space, and then they're going to force you guys to rally and tackle. So it's a tough way either way. If you don't have Levante, you kind of just got to live with it. Now on the other side of the ball, Ben, you got Tom Brady. You've got a Bucks team that we were imploring to pass the ball a little bit more last year. They were way too run heavy on first down, then just switched to like pass, pass, pass on second and third down. And they've done that. They've become more balanced on first down. They've got one of the highest pass rates in the NFL this year, playing extremely good football right now, even despite the fact that Gronk hasn't been there and AB hasn't been there. Uh, we don't know the status yet of those guys. I think Gronk was practicing on the field today. AB was walking without the use of a crutch spotted today, uh, but we have no idea yet if those guys are going to be able to play in this massive game against the Saints. What was the Saints defense doing last year that confused or limited Tom Brady's offensive production? And mind you that the first two meetings last year, one was week, I think one or two, and one was week nine. This was before the bye week, before they kind of implemented a few more things that Brady likes to do. This was when the team was starting to get to to know each other early on in the season and really wasn't as efficient. Obviously, the playoff game occurred when the Pats were hitting their stride. Sorry, the the Bucks were hitting their stride and they still, the Saints still had a little bit of success against these guys. So what were they doing so well defensively to limit the production of the Buccaneers offense? And do you think that that can continue this season like it was doing last year? Yeah, that week nine game, which was a game that I went back through, it was a pretty good precursor for something we're seeing a lot this year in terms of the treatment to Mahomes. Uh, If we can sit in too high and play two man, we're going to do it. And the thing about two man is it's not sexy. Like it's not, I got nothing. It's what it sounds like. I'm not going to sit here and go on this beautiful explanation about it. Two deep safeties play man coverage across the board. That's what it is, but it's extremely safe. Uh, It's going to keep stuff underneath. It's going to make it very difficult to throw verticals. And what you're saying as a defense is you're saying, all right, we probably can't stop you. So we're going to sit on top of you and make you work patiently 
all the way down the field. And this Brady offense in, in, in New England, we should say, was really, really good at that, right? Nickel and dime. In Tampa, they were really struggling to figure that out over the course of time, right? And, and eventually, we got to the point in the season where Brady was like high completion percentage and high A dot. And we were like, this isn't allowed. This isn't real. Like, that's absurd. But throughout the course of the season, they were trying to figure out how to balance his depth of target with his completion percentage because he was used to being a nickel and dime quarterback. And then obviously, this offense was a lot more oriented on verticality. Bruce Arians, you know, Jameis Winston previously there, the receivers they had, whatever. So you saw in that, that week nine game, we're gonna play two man. We're gonna we're gonna play two deep zones. Uh, Dennis Allen is a really good like like talk about Mike Zimmer. He's a very good situational blitzer. He understands how to get into your rules on third down, how to manipulate you, how to find easy pressures. They're getting David Onyemata back, who's a really big part of their pressure packages. The defensive tackle. I would expect them to on early downs, on base downs, sit in too high, and say, "Listen, if Leonard Fournette can beat us, congrats." But we're gonna go make. T- we're gonna let Tom beat us. We're not gonna let Godwin and Rob and and Evans beat us. Those guys are nuts. We're gonna make Fournette beat us. And Fournette's been playing pretty well recently. That might not be as tenable of a strategy. But we we we, we like our front. We're gonna go for that. Once we get you into a third and medium, then we're gonna start changing looks. Then we're gonna start twisting around. It was funny. I, I was like googling pieces about this to like get a framework for what what Saints writers were seeing. And like one piece was like, here's the Saints too high. Like this was the solution. The other one was like, here's their cover three. And the other one was like, here's their blitzes. Nobody knew what the, the, the magic sauce was. Cause that's the point. They were throwing the, the kitchen sink at you on third downs. Uh, and so I think you're going to see a lot of like what you've seen against Mahomes this year. We're going to play too deep on early downs. We're going to make you get into third downs because you don't want to be there. And then we're going to try to throw chaos at you. We're going to try to make you think, and we're going to try to win a one-on-one matchup. Worked well last year. Don't think it works as well this year, given how Brady and this Bucks offense have, have, have evolved. But Dennis Allen had his number last year. So this, this game plan is a really exciting one to watch. Yeah, this matchup is quite compelling, and I love your analysis there of kind of what the Saints were doing last year. Um, considering you don't think it might work quite as well this season, we've got a spread that is right now favoring the Bucks by five and a half points in some spots is as high as six on the road in New Orleans and the Saints have the total points projected at 50. What is your thought on side or total? Yeah, if I'm anywhere right now, and I'm, I'm not sure I am just because of, of divisional matchup, a lot of really good coaches, uh, some weird inavailabilities for the Saints passing game and for the Bucks pass coverage. There's a lot going into this one and generally that that concerns me if i'm anywhere on bucks minus five and a half like i said i I have a lot more trust in the bucks passing game offense 2021 than i did in passing game offense 2020 uh and also i i do like what we've seen from leno fournette this season they're running the ball better than they were they're doing different stuff too they're not just living in 21 22 double anymore right that duo run you're seeing a little bit more like outside zone you're seeing a little bit more creativity split zone and whatnot and that's nice uh that offensive line continues to play really really well and then the saints offense for as much as i i like what they've done with Jameis, we've just seen them lay some stinkers right like we, we, at this point i would not call them a trustworthy unit so if i'm anywhere on bucks minus five and a half i'm probably generally passing on this one can't wait to watch it don't really want to handicap it. I'll take Camara over receptions. That'll probably be it. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Uh, props and times when matchups are difficult to forecast how they all work out, but you got a couple things that you can identify that you really like uh, are definitely the way to go in some of these more compelling matchups uh, that we see around the league. 
One game that I want to talk about now does not feature as much lopsided public action, and that is the Patriots against the Chargers. This game is in LA. Right now, the Chargers are laying five and a half points. It's moved up to six this morning. There's been a wave of uh, Chargers money that entered the market this morning, and the total sits at 48 and a half, 49 points, which was bet up from 47 and 47 and a half points earlier this week. Um, ben, we want to be consistent here with our commentary on the Chargers. And what we can say is that we were some of the people that were first discussing this back week one when we broke down what happened in the Washington football team's game against the Chargers. The narrative that first emerged after that game was, oh my God, he's doing it again. Justin Herbert is incredible on third downs. He converted 14 of 19 third downs. I can't believe he keeps doing it, but will we continue to see that this season? And the immediate thing that came to our minds, both of us, was, holy crap, 19 third down attempts? Like, forget the conversions. Look at how many times they're being forced into third down. And only two teams in all of 2020 had played in a game where they had more than 19 third down attempts in regulation. So, like, 19 third down attempts, holy shit, what is going on here? Um Unfortunately, the Chargers never really tried to fix that aspect of the offense before their game with the Ravens. They continued to uh, play short on early downs, try to allow Justin Herbert to cook on third downs, and they finally ran into a defense before their bye week that would not allow them to do that. The Baltimore Ravens, one of the best third down defenses in the NFL, limited their production on third downs. They could not convert. They limited their productions on fourth downs, held them to an embarrassing low point total before the bye. Um, now, Brandon Staley enters the bye week with a very interesting quote that everybody's probably seen on Twitter, but I want to go ahead and read it to the people that are digesting the podcast and not as much on Twitter. Uh, his quote was, what we have to do on early downs is make sure that we're maximizing our playmakers and staying out of those tough scenarios that we've been able to convert. You can't take that all away from our offense. Third downs are a part of the NFL, but you don't want to live like that because it puts too much pressure. There are too many variables in the defense's favor on third downs. We don't want to do that. I think over the next few days, we're going to take a hard look at our operation so that we can be more prolific on first and second down moving forward. Now, this is it's, it's great to hear him say this. It's a little surprising that they didn't notice this earlier and make those adjustments. It's doubly surprising when you consider that this is exactly the way that Staley likes to force other teams to play football. He wants to force you into third downs, so then you have to be perfect on third downs or you're punting the ball back to him. Um, the, obviously, the Chargers were more aggressive on fourth down than most offenses, but his own team needs to play the way he would not want to face a team, which is be ultra aggressive and efficient on early downs to never get forced into these third downs. So they're playing the Patriots this week. What specifically do you hope they adjusted um, on these early downs, potentially to take advantage of a defensive fault of the Patriots so they can show us this prolific early down attack? dot baby. Let's throw the ball down the field. That's that to me. That that's the biggest thing. When I went and I was, I was actually doing a piece on on trade deadline stuff, and I was talking myself into Brandon Cooks getting traded to the Chargers because I just thought it'd be super freaking fun. Ooh. Uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what you what you see is that Herbert's average depth of target right now is seven point four uh, intended air yards, which I, I believe is eighth lowest in the league. Uh, makes sense given the way you see him play, right? Like they they have Keenan Allen who's a really good underneath separator. Third and six, he gets you seven. 
Mike Williams is their downfield guy. I think about over 20% of his routes or his targets, excuse me, this year have been more than 20 yards down the field. That's more contested catch stuff. He's not really like a run away from you sort of a guy. Uh, and then they're very heavy with the Austin Eckler targets, right? If Herbert drops back and he sees, you know, drop seven in zone, he's just going to dump it to Eckler, go get me four yards. And it's that, that methodical approach that as you really nicely put it, Brandon Staley wants to put you in as a defensive coordinator. So why is his offense doing it? If he thinks as a defensive coordinator, that's what he wants to make opposing teams do. It's a very good framework. Uh, when we get to first down, or excuse me, when we just get to early downs, uh, that eight out drops to 6.5. That's almost a whole yard, which is the uh, the third lowest mark in the league, tied for it at least. Uh, they are even more cautious on first down. And the logic of if we have such a good third down quarterback why should we get riskier on first down? May sound intuitive from the jump, but it really isn't. It's like you said, third down might feel like the most important down, but if you can just be good on first downs, you never have to worry about third down. You're always going to have a first down. It better be good on that down Amen. as opposed to a third down, which you're not always going to get. And you don't want to be in a position where you're playing for third down because you're just extending your own drives and inviting the room for more mistakes. So we have to find a way to push the ball downfield more on early downs. To me, that's more uh, early down play action because that's where they get their deep passing game from, which is intuitive. That's how, how it is for a lot of teams. But also we do want to change uh, that because where it's going to take away our under center game. They do this like three-step under center drop. They run like curl flat. It's Mike McCarthy nonsense. It's, it's the stuff that made Aaron Rodgers chase McCarthy out of town, which Herbert doesn't have that clout yet, but that's what it is. There's no reason to be running mirrored curl flat with this guy. Like, if you had Gardner Minshew, I'd get it. You don't. You got a gem here, right? So that there's nothing wrong with that, but it's fat to be trimmed, right? It's 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 easy wins that you're just leaving on the table. If we increase our our early down shotgun rate and our early down play action rate, we're going to inherently increase our our downfield passing game. And I think that's why you haven't really seen this change be made yet. It is tough for teams to make changes without the bye week like that's when you really sit down Doug Peterson was on the athletic football show talking about this a couple weeks ago a really good pod everybody should listen to it where he was like you don't really get a chance to go back and like dissect the first half of the season until the bye week you're just in such a a a urgency mode of, of trying to put out fires as they're coming up throughout the week and injuries and adjustments that like it's the bye week where you get to sit down and do it so I think it off the bye is where I really expect them to be able to say okay we're going to take some of this under center quick game stuff and we're just going to cut it. It just it, it's fine, but we don't need it. Uh, what, what is better for us? What is more value for us? Higher EPA. We know that Staley looks at stuff like this is going to be that shotgun game. It's going to be that under center play action game and it's going to be finding more downfield targets. I expect them to make that change because I trust the coaching staff. Yeah, and it'll be fun to watch this offense when they do make that change and and let Justin Herbert throw the ball on first down down the field like he does on third down. Call the good plays on first down instead of third. I want to talk, switch gears here, make Bill Simmons a little mad potentially, but let's talk about the Patriots defense. Let's figure out what's going on with this Patriots defense. So, um, and by the way, breaking news, Rob Gronkowski is playing this Sunday versus the Saints. So after four okay, games please. of absence, Rob will be back uh, for that game just to let everybody be up to date as they're listening along with us. Um, every year we come to this point, statistically, the Patriots defense looks incredible. And, you know, our goal on this pod as sports bettors is to be ahead of the curve, be ahead of trends. Um, one of the things that we always see is then they go up against a really good offense and then they don't end up performing quite as well. And we say, people say, oh, well, I guess they weren't as good as we thought. Well, we want to be ahead of that curve. This Patriots defense looks like an above average defense. They rank 14th overall, 
14th against the pass and 14th against the run. But they've played the third easiest schedule of offenses. They've played literally three games against offenses that rank bottom two on the season. Yeah, we get the Jets twice, baby. Easy schedule. (laughs) The Jets twice, the Texans, plus you get a game against the bad Dolphins offense that ranks number 26th. You played against the Saints week three of the season when they were still trying to figure out what their strategy was going to be. And they ranked the, the Saints offense ranks only 20th. Other than that, they've played only two games against offenses that rank better than 20th on the season, the Bucs and the Cowboys. And the Bucs game was a game, as we know, we broke it down in great detail, was played in a rainstorm. Bill Belichick conjured up like a rainstorm, limited the Bucs offense. Brady clearly was nervous, emotional, eager early on. Then you had some AB drops late in that game. Uh, they did not, the Bucs offense did not play very well, but Brady uh, was going up against Belichick, who was cooking up a lot of things with the quarterback who he had a lot of familiarity uh, scheming up for and being able to deal with. Uh, then you've got the Cowboys game, which was the only game played in normal weather conditions against an offense that ranked above 20th. Dallas punted one time in 11 drives, once. They made five trips into the Patriots' red zone. They scored a touchdown from the Patriots, 35 in addition. They also settled for field goal attempts from the Patriots, 27, 31, and 33. They fumbled at the one-yard line. They threw an interception at the Patriots' 16-yard line and kicked a field goal at the Patriots' 12-yard line. They would have had even more points, but for some of these self-inflicted wounds. The Patriots' defense is not getting as much pressure as they've done some points in the past. They lost another guy in the secondary this past week. They're not quite as deep of a secondary this season. So I ask you, Ben, at the risk of making your boss upset, is this Patriots defense for real or have they just benefited from playing such a lackluster schedule of opposing offenses year to date? And we're going to see against a potentially more aggressive Chargers offense on early downs and a great quarterback like Justin Herbert, this Patriots defense struggle in this game. Yeah, a good good story about Bill where uh, I, I was on his pod like two weeks ago and he asked me, or yeah, it was two weeks ago, and he asked me if there are any two and four teams that I thought were still like, you know, like, like you know, under 500 teams that could like still hang around and be in the playoff picture. And I was like, yeah, I think the Colts are getting better and whatever, yada, yada, yada. And then I didn't realize until after I recorded that the Patriots were two and four. And that was probably the team I was supposed to say. Uh, and I was like, oh, dang, I missed that one. But um, I think that, yeah, the, the Patriots defense doesn't feel as for real, right? We've talked about this a little bit before. They're running up more drop eight than they ever have before, which is, I think, a, a, a place where the NFL meta is going to go and is shifting. Um, but that, a, a lot of it also indicates where they think they're at in terms of their defensive personnel. We know that personally, if he could, Bill Belichick would just live in man coverage forever. No Stephon Gilmore. Uh, Jalen Mills to me has not been a very impressive corner too and as you said they've got uh, injuries at the safety room as well JC Jackson looks great other than that I don't think they have the guys to be able to hang in man coverage the way they want to and so they're running a lot more drop eight it's still very frustrating because Josh Uche and Matt Judon remain two really really good edges by film watch and by you know a lot of catch-all metrics right now they're both top 20 and win percentage from PFF but uh, the blitz rate in, the, in, in general is pretty low and and it's a good example of here why why uh, pass rushes have to be coordinated. They've got really good edge pressure right now. They do not have good interior pressure. So Uche and Judon win off the edge. Quarterback steps up. There's nobody there to finish the job, right? Uh, from the guys that they're putting out there in the middle, Devon Gotcha, Henry Anderson, Butler, they're not, they're not getting the interior push that they need. So quarterbacks are able to still manage the pocket despite those two good edges. So what's your solution? I'd blitz more. I'd probably 
lower my standards for man coverage a little bit. I think probably that Belichick's defense is used to having some really, really good man coverage. I think they're still a fine man coverage team. They still got great rules. They've got, as you know, the system. So I think you can still probably play more man, blitz a little bit more, generate a bit more pressure and feel good about that. Are, is our team going to pick on Jalen Mills? Yes, but you you got to have known that when you signed the guy. I mean, like, I, like I, they weren't really planning on him to be cornered too. I get that, but... This is where you're at right now. You're going to kind of have to live with that reality. So I think you do that to try to find some edges, try to create a little bit of chaos. But right now, the team is is too polar. Uche, Judon, Hightower, and Jackson are great. Duggar's getting there. Everybody else is a liability somewhere. And so you have to start really leaning even further and further on your star players. Play some more man coverage. Blitz more with Hightower. Use that and get your star players in situations instead of trying to work this holistic scheme. I agree. It just doesn't seem to be working too well. Okay. Now, on the other side of the ball, we've got Mac Jones. And we know what Brandon Staley wants to do defensively. He wants to try to limit the big plays down the field. Uh, he's going to let you run the ball a little bit. I mean, he may not love it, but he's got the worst run defense in the NFL right now. Granted, they've played a good schedule of rushing offenses, but teams are going to be able to run the football on him and teams are going to be able to throw short on him. Well, this is exactly where Mac Jones and this Patriots offense has lived the entire season. There was some rumblings up there in the New England area that they wanted him to get more aggressive down the field. And we saw some of that against the Jets throwing the ball a little bit deeper, increased ADOT. Uh, but generally speaking, The Patriots offense seems well-built and well-equipped to be productive against this Brandon Staley Chargers defense. Um, What do you see on that side of the football? How productive do you see this Patriots offense being here? Yeah, so now it's time for the Make Bill Happy segment. Plus six feels way too big when you consider the Patriots are going to be able to run the Chargers all the way down the field. Uh, The Patriots running game has been really, really good, and, and, and it's a little bit sneaky, because of their offensive line injuries, right? And so that's kind of occluded what we're seeing here a little bit. But Isaiah Wynn is back. Michael Nguyen, who looks awesome. David Andrews played 100% of the snaps. Shaq Mason was coming back from abdomen injury. I think he played around 60%, if memory serves. Forgive me if that's wrong. But they obviously expect him to be healthier a week out. They potentially got the starting five back in place. And then Damian Harris, who had a little bit of a trip to the doghouse because he's had some fumbles. And that's kind of how Belichick runs his, his ship there. Really, really good when he's toting the rock. Uh, he's just been a, a straight good runner. Just got to be able to finish runs and hold on to the football. Uh, with the Chargers injuries at linebacker, uh, you know, uh, we talked about how uh, in the bye week, schematically, they've made changes on offense. Nothing's changing on defense. Personnel's bad. It's just, you can't, like, unless they're going to make a, a couple trade deadline moves, you're not going to just immediately get better over the bye week. Uh, you know, like Christian Covington, Jerry Tillery, uh, uh, Kaiser White, you know, the, the, the Neiman, not Ben, the other one, Nick. They just don't have the the bodies in the front right now to be getting away with the light boxes the way Staley did with the Rams. Uh, I think the Patriots run it all over them. I think the Patriots are able to, to shorten this game by holding onto the ball. They've they've done a better job getting heavy personnel in the field. They've done a better job finding some deeper passes with Mac. But like you bring up in this game, we can go underneath, right? The Chargers are going to give us that. We've seen Mac be really good there. I think for as much as the, the Chargers should score on the Patriots, I think the Patriots can score on the Chargers. Uh, the total's a little bit tricky just because I'm worried about how short the quarters are going to become with that running game. But plus six to me feels too long uh, for a Patriots team that I think is going to be able to get seven on red zone trips and get a lot of red zone trips. So to me, uh, th- this running game for the Patriots has been one of the best this season. We're missing it a little bit on metrics just because of the offensive line injuries, but they're back healthy now. Uh, I think they're going to run the ball all over LA. 
Interesting. Yeah, the total is going to be interesting. The spread is going to be interesting. I think this game is going to be fascinating. And just for the record, the Chargers red zone defense ranks 27th in the NFL. And they're very bad on third downs as well. They rank 25th. That's why the Cleveland Browns, even though they ran the ball a lot and had some explosive runs, even if they're picking up three to four yards of carry at, at worst, like that's unlikely for the Patriots to only get three to four yards per carry. But you're going to be setting yourselves up on third down situations that you probably are going to be able to convert, maintain possession, score when you get into the red zone, and really put the pressure on Justin Herbert to perform extremely well when he has a football. I think this is going to be a great game. Now, we could be talking about games for a while, Ben. I I love breaking games down with you. We do need to run through. I got three more games here that I want to get into. So I'm going to set the timer. We're going to do three minutes per three. game. It was I'm going to cut you last off. Week, Warren. You can't do this to me. Five last All week, right. three this we week. Three games, three minutes apiece. We're cutting you off at the end of the three minutes. I'm pressing start. Cleveland Browns at Pittsburgh Steelers. What has concerned you or impressed you with the Browns defense? Oh, man. Uh, I like how the you've got uh, a very fast team with a lot of chaos up front. I like the way they're using their front. Uh, you get Garrett and Clowney on far sides. You put McKinley and McDowell out there. You get a lot of speed. They run twists. They run games. Then with Wusu Koromoa and John Johnson, you have guys who can replace and guys who can make plays shallow. So when quarterbacks throw hot, they rally to the football and they tackle. That's really impressive. The problem to me is, is the exchange for speed is size. You see him get big boyed. Uh, when, when teams want to target their tight ends, they can get them. When teams have big receivers, they can get them there on the outside. We talked about that a little bit with Cortland Sutton coming into Thursday Night Football. You saw that happen where Greg Newsom had Cortland Sutton gloved up, but then Cortland Sutton's got like three inches on Greg Newsom. And you just kind of put the ball up there and ask him to go make a play. So they're lacking a little bit for size. Uh, they don't have a good matchup for Chase Claypool, which is concerning because Claypool is going to be a high-volume player, especially with Juju out. But with that said, the amount of chaos they can create up front against a bad Steelers offensive line, I know Ben gets rid of the ball quick, but I think they're going to hit him a lot. Uh, the other thing is when you're a chaos front, uh, you can give up some explosive runs just because your your gap integrity gets a little bit wonky at times. But again, to me, that's a fair exchange. Um, so I think... The, they'll get better throughout the season. They're obviously a little bit unhealthy now as well. But in general, I like what they're doing. It's just the size matchups really, really hurt them. They don't have an answer right now. The Steelers' defense ranks number nine, but has played the number two toughest schedule of opposing offenses. And they've actually gone up against three of the top four teams in the AFC right now in terms of the conference rankings. The Bengals, the Raiders, and the Bills, plus the Packers back in week four when this team was good. This, op- this defense of the Steelers has been tested. What does Cleveland need to try to do here offensively after scoring 17 or fewer points in three of their last four games? Yeah, the the the, the Browns, it feels right. Like they're doing a lot of things correctly and then they're just getting really poor execution from the quarterback position, whether it was Baker Mayfield uh, you know, earlier, whether it was Case Keenum. We obviously saw that Dernis Johnson could just walk in and make this running game go. Uh, Steelers are going to take away the running game as best you can against the Browns, right? They're, they're going to... Uh, pour resources into that, and then ask you to throw the football on them. The answer for what the Browns need to do is going to eternally be get Odell working. Like, that's got to be priority number one. But besides that, uh, I'd like to continue to see these tight ends get involved in the passing game. Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker room right now is the weakest part of that defense by far. Joe Schober is is a guy you can attack in the passing game. So is Bobby Spillane. Uh, And the, the 
Browns typically go tight and heavy. David Njoku's having one of his best seasons in a contract year. Harrison Bryant's a good pass catcher. Continue to find the tight end screens. Continue to find the tight end leaks. Let's use those guys because our wide receiver room right now, our quarterbacks can't really get in target with them. Tight end is the safety blanket and the Steelers can be susceptible to that. Perfect timing. Five seconds left. Side or total. Right now, the Browns are favored by three and a half points at home. Total sits at 42 and a half. I personally like over on 42 and a half. It feels a little bit too low for me for uh, a Steelers team that we've seen just weirdly be able to get 20 points out in every single game, despite the fact that I don't like their offense at all. And then I'm confident that the Browns are able to get into the mid-20s as well. Uh, Especially if we get Baker Mayfield, we know he's susceptible to hold on to the football, make some bad decisions. We saw a pick six from Minka Fitzpatrick. We've seen fumbles return from touchdowns like this. These teams get turnover heavy, uh, especially when Baker's playing, which he expects to. And so that'll give you some short fields. How about the offense? I like the over. Okay, three minutes on the clock. Giants at Chiefs. This is Monday night football, but we want to talk to you about it today. Um, After watching Sunday's poor performance against the Titans, it kind of felt a little bit different than some of the other Chiefs let down performances. Defenses league-wide aren't blitzing Mahomes nearly as much. They're playing more coverage that's preventing being exploited over the top. What is going on with Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense? Is it in their power to correct it this season with the personnel that's on their roster? And more importantly for this game, do they get it corrected against the Giants? Oh, I'm so. Why are you asking me this for like three minutes? This I know. Is my, this Sorry. Is my, this, this is, is the, so, this is like twenty this is my minute soapbox question. Soapbox thing of the week. Okay, everybody's <laughs> got to listen to the Friday NFL show because we're talking about this. Could be fun. But anyway, uh, the the long and the short of it is. Uh, Mahomes has some bad habits that he has always had. They have always been there. Usually it did not matter because the team was so good. Now the margin for error is so much smaller that these bad habits are starting to matter. So could Mahomes be better? Could he not be dropping so far back? So when you drop 10 yards deep, 11 yards deep, 12 yards deep in the pocket, you make the job on your tackles really, really tough. Yes, he could be doing that. But it's not like he just started doing that. That's been happening for a while. And the Chiefs have usually been able to get away with it because of the scramble plays, because of the explosives, because of the run after the catch. As it is, we know the teams are rushing with four and they're dropping seven. It's what the Giants already want to do as a defense, and they're going to keep doing it against the the Chiefs. Short-term salves, because you're not really able to solve that play style stuff in a week. Uh, More screen game, something we've seen the Chiefs move away from. We like to see more of that. Usually you like to throw it into blitzes, but now you just have to throw it into four-man and hope that it works. Uh, More Tyreek Hill underneath. They're not giving you explosives. Get the ball into his hands and let him do work afterwards. Uh, Travis Kelsey's getting mugged up everywhere he goes down the field. They're just hitting him, hitting him, hitting him, and, and playing physical with him, throwing off the timing, throwing off the rhythm. Let's make Hill a feature player. Let's make him a feature player underneath. Hill and Hardman even as well working with quick stuff underneath and then running after the catch. You have to manufacture explosives if defenses aren't giving them to you, so target your speed demons underneath. I think they beat the Giants, but it's because I can't wrap my head around the idea of the Chiefs losing to the Giants. I just (laughs) mentally cannot get there. So they could lay another stinker. I'd be very surprised if they do. I think they score enough points to get it done. So speaking of scoring enough points, the total sits at 52, but the Chiefs are laying 10 points at home on Monday night. Thoughts on side or total? I mean, at this point, I'm probably taking the Giants because the Chiefs haven't covered in like a year or whatever the heck it is. I mean, it's been ages. Uh, and, and the thing is, I was in a big fade the Giants mode uh, when they faced the Panthers last week because of the lack of offensive weapons. We saw Jason Garrett get a little flexible. We saw a little Daniel Jones run, baby. We saw a little more play action. Like they started pressing some buttons because of where they were from a talent perspective. So as long as Jones isn't turning over the football, he's been a decently reliable quarterback this year to put points on the board. Uh, and uh, the Chiefs defense ain't, ain't going to force any turnovers. So to me, Giants plus 10 is the move. Yep, I don't disagree. Okay, we got three minutes on the clock. We're going to hit this is exhausting. Titans. Oh my goodness. Titans okay. and Colts. We're, we're running through these games. Last one of the bunch. Titans and Colts. Right now, 
okay, as we were recording this podcast, you don't have the Don Best screen up. I've got it up here. The Tennessee Titans were laying one point on the road in Indy. And the Colts just took a little wave of money. And now this game is down to either a pick or the Colts favored by one point. This is a huge game, must-win game for the Indianapolis Colts to have hope in the AFC South because you can't fall down to three and five and give the Titans a six and two record here. We predicted and talked about Colts start slow. Frank Reich starts slow. Team comes on. Schedule is built for them to come on down the stretch here. Look out for the Indianapolis Colts. Are you looking out for the Indianapolis Colts in this game? How do you see the teams in the 2021 version of each matching up this season? Who do you think comes out on top? This game is like virtually a coin flip as the odds makers are predicting. Yeah, and, I, and I'd love to feel great about a side. I don't think I do. Uh the Colts passing game has really taken a step forward. Carson Wentz specifically over the last few weeks. Since week four, in terms of drop back EPA per play, the Colts right now are eighth. If you cut that to week five, they get to third. Now, that's like, you know, the Texans defense and, and what have you. And we saw that against the Titans, they weren't fully figured out. Remember, this is a repeat game, which to me is important. We know that those division games in the repeats tend to get tighter, tend to get tougher. Uh, so I think the Colts passing game is something I'm, I'm a little bit more willing to trust. T.Y. Hilton back, Quentin Nelson back, they're getting fully healthy. And we've seen Carson Wentz be really effective on his deep shots, both in terms of accuracy, uh, you know, choosiness, finding his spots, but then also getting that DPI penalty. And it ain't, uh, it ain't pretty, but it gets the job done, moves the ball down the field. Uh, and so they've found that and that they can be a deep passing game because the running game's also been really, really good. Uh, Jonathan Taylor really rounding into his own second year as that bell cow back. So the Chiefs, excuse me, the Colts offense rounding out. Same thing is true of the Titans. They had their wide receiver injuries. They're getting those guys back. They've got Derrick Henry running and, and Todd Downing, who I really did not like how he was calling offense early, has come, gone back to the greatest hits, the play actions and the inbreakers and the Derrick Henry on duo and and. Ryan Tannehill in the pocket taking hits. This is what worked for them last year. I trust both offenses. I do not trust both defenses. I like the over in this one, especially with the Titans injuries. I know that that front played really well against the Chiefs. I think it's a little bit of fool's gold. I think they're a good, not great front. And the Chief, the Colts have enough on the offensive line to get it done. Over 51 to me is the move here. Yeah, and actually I would be hunting and pecking around to find a 50 and a half. 51 does land at a very high rate for NFL totals, but I do see a number of 50 and a halfs out there. So uh, keep that in mind. If you're looking at this game, I would be looking to try to get a 50 and a half. It has been bet towards the over from 47, 47 and a half where it reopened. It was funny. The look ahead on this game was 49. After that disgusting uh, game in the rainstorm, they posted the number at 47 and a half uh, on Monday at around 9.45 a.m. And that quickly got bet up higher uh, in leaps and bounds and up to where it sits right now around 51, 50, sorry, 51, 50 and a half in that range. Um, okay, we survived a, the nine minutes of hell there, Ben. Three teams in three minutes apiece. Great job. Um, one random question before I get into quick rapid fire. Just real quick. Top three teams in the AFC, if the season ended today, were the Bengals, the Raiders, or the Titans? <laughs> Any of these three teams legitimately there by the end of the season? I know we'd have to get into a long diatribe about their strength of schedule and who they play later on, but like right. from the core of each one of these teams, do you see any of these three teams legit being contenders at the season's end to like make a run in the playoffs? If I had to take a bet on one, it would be the Raiders. Uh, 
predicated on how well Derek Carr has been playing, uh, predicated on how well that passing game has worked. We've seen in the absence of John Gruden, the play action rates going up as well, which has been really nice for their intermediate passing game, something they were a little bit lacking. Uh, Derek Carr has become a little bit of a boomer bust quarterback all of a sudden. That's new. Uh, and then uh, th- that defense, like I've talked about before, I think they just need to be average for this team to be legit. And, and I think they can hang on that. The Bengals are a very similar argument. Joe Burrow running the offense. They've, they've found the buttons that work, and then that defense is solid. It's just I haven't seen it for as long, so I'm not sure I buy it as much. And then the Titans, we've seen this before. They're good in the season. They get to the playoffs. They're very physical. They're tough out in the playoffs because of Derrick Henry and, and, and the physicality, right, the running the football. But they just don't have the, the talent on the roster, in my opinion, to hang. So all three teams, to me, smell a little fishy. Uh, nobody called this in the AFC. No. <laughs> but if I'm, if I'm betting on one, I think the Raiders are the team I'm willing to take. All right, now we're going to run through the rapid-fire wildcard round. Anything goes here, and I'm going to toss out any team that won last week and is favored this week, but either has a bad matchup or is getting too overvalued in the public's eyes this week. I'm going to run through some of these games, and you can tell me which the team would be that you would want to bet against, and that would be the Bengals laying 10 to the Jets, although that line, as we're talking, I love doing this like live updates here. That line has just shifted to 10 and a half or 11 because the Jets just announced that Mike White is indeed starting this game. So people are continuing to lay the Bengals here. So that line is up to 11 points. The Cleveland Browns minus three and a half against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We talked about that team earlier. Tampa Bay minus five against the Saints. We also discussed that um, a little bit earlier. That line is up to five and a half at some spots. Um, the Arizona Cardinals, we'll talk about that game momentarily, laying six and a half points against the Green Bay Packers on Thursday Night Football. Dallas minus two and a half against the Vikings. We know you already are on Dallas and that one at a better number. I think you said you took one and a half. Atlanta minus three against the Carolina Panthers. The Rams minus 14 against the Houston Texans or the Titans minus one. They technically don't qualify any longer. And you already said you don't really have an opinion on the side in that game. So any one of those favorites that you would be looking to fade specifically? Yeah, the one I'm really watching is the Rams minus 14 against the Texans. We've seen the Rams be double-digit favorites against the Giants and the Lions in back-to-back weeks. And in both games... I, I I I don't think they covered against the Lions. The Giants, they did, but obviously Daniel Jones left that game at halftime. And we saw in the first quarter, the Giants weren't really dominating. And we saw it again against the Lions. This was a one-score game early in the fourth quarter. The Rams can win these games, but they aren't really like battering dudes around, these these bad teams around the way that the, uh, the Bills were during that stretch where they had all those bad teams, right? The Rams aren't really like jumping out to huge leads and dominating. It's because the defense isn't as good. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, and this is, uh, you know, breaking as of 30 minutes ago, uh, he's elevated off of IR. He is practicing this week. However, our, uh, Davis Mills is taking the first team reps because they're not positive that he'll be healthy for this game. So I won't take it yet. But if I get positive news on Tyrod throughout the week and I can get two touchdowns for a Texans offense look pretty good with Tyrod at the helm, I will take that against the Rams. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we know what was that week one game. The Jacksonville Jaguars were favored on the road in Houston and got Urban absolutely got smoked and had his hands on his knees in like the, I can't believe I'm actually doing this Urban could be up by 50 with his hands on his knees. That's just (laughs) the Urban stance. (laughs) That's the Urban stance. And then they're in Cleveland in week two, and Tyrod has this team leading at halftime against the Cleveland Browns, who were at basically full health at that point in time in the season. So uh, really interesting uh, the way that this game's going to go. I can assure you, if 
Tyrod is announced as the starter, that line is going to drop. So it's 14 and a half right now. I do see his book that even has 15. As soon as you get an inkling that Tyrod might be the guy, pounce at that number because it's definitely going to drop below two touchdowns pretty quickly once they pull it off the board and repost it. Um, Flip side, any team that lost last week that is an underdog this week that you think has value, Ben. So here we've got the Chicago Bears plus three and a half against 49ers. Miami catching 13 and a half against Buffalo. Detroit catching three and a half against Philadelphia Eagles. Carolina catching three against the Falcons. Washington catching three against the Broncos. And then you already mentioned Houston qualifies for this thing as well, as do the Jets. You already talked a little bit about the Texans. So any of those other teams that I mentioned with the spread stand out to you as a team that you might want to bet on? Yeah, I pretty much hate all these. Um, and then we're kind of getting <laughs> to that time of the year. I'm on San Francisco already because of the uh, the inavailabilities of the Chicago front, which is how they've been winning on defense. Khalil Mack likely out for this game. Robert yep. Quinn likely out for this game. COVID. And then Akeem Hicks missed the last two games. Uh, Detroit, Philadelphia, I wouldn't touch with a 39 and a half foot pole. I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in that game. Uh, Washington, Denver is another example where like I'd love to take Washington because I think that, that that defense is starting to settle in after a really bad start to the season. But I don't have all the faith in that. I'm already on Atlanta. It's already talked about Houston. I took the Bengals at eight and a half when it opened because Jets are nonsense. So I'm not, I am I can't talk myself into Miami plus 13 and a half against the Bills. I got almost nothing for you here. Yeah, and I believe actually that Khalil Mack was, is being placed on IR. Um, yeah. I think it's close to that. I don't know if it's 100% official, but he's just not healing with his injury and they think like giving him three weeks off might be the recipe to get him healthy for uh, quote-unquote stretch run, um, if that's a thing in Chicago. Uh, okay, Thursday Night Football Preview. We've got, basically, this is sort of like the COVID bowl almost uh, because the Green Bay Packers have been dealing with that in the building and a lot of players are out. Now, I don't know officially if Devontae Adams has completely been ruled out for this game, Ben. Um, he had to get two negative tests in order to play because he is vaccinated. Alan Lazard, who is a close contact of Devontae Adams, who is unvaccinated, is not going to be able to play. Randall Cobb may very well be Aaron Rodgers' number one target in this game. We know As defense, Aaron Rodgers planned all along. <laughs> as he requested, wanted, he's got him. We'll see what he can do with him. Um, Aaron has typically done okay without Devontae Adams in the lineup from a win-loss perspective. Um, has made things work, but now you're down a number of receivers. I think their defense coordinator obviously is out as well for this game, and who knows who else might pop up on the uh, COVID list and be unable to play. Cliff Kingsbury says DeAndre Hopkins might be available. Like He's giving the impression that obviously Hopkins is not 100%, usually does better with a full week of rest and rehab before he plays, but Hop is so tough. He's definitely going to be out there on the field. So this line has obviously shifted to the Cardinals and to the under. Right now, the total is only 50 and a half, and the Arizona Cardinals are laying six and a half here. So right under the key of seven, and the total is right under the key of 51. What's your take on this one on Thursday night, Ben? Yeah, I took the over when it opened, and then Devontae and, and Bakhtiari <laughs> probably won't play, and it's down to 50 and a half, which is obviously under that big number. Because uh, I think that Cardinals going to be able to throw it on the Packers' defense fairly easily, and I think the Packers going to be able to run it on the Cardinals fairly easily. And that, that belief in the running game still sticks, but it's just when you do get into those passing downs, the whole ship is built around Devontae. The, the depth is so bad. Marquez Valdez-Scantling's 
not guaranteed to be able to play in this game, still working back from IR. And so to me, it's just very tough to trust the Packers to get enough points uh, to, to cover, let alone hit the total. With that said, uh, this is the opportunity to take Aaron Jones at pretty much every receiving prop you can get. Uh, we know that we get a little bit more Robert Tunyon when Adams is out, but we know that the most trusted receiver on the field by a mile for Aaron Rodgers in this game will be Aaron Jones. Uh, we should expect him to be very heavily featured in the passing game. I think they're going to be a lot of two-back sets, pony backfield with him and Dylan. Uh, and so to me, I'm going to be looking at running back props for this game, try to account for that money I already put on the over because I don't have as much faith on it as I once did. <laughs> well, and the Arizona Cardinals defense, they haven't played a great slate of passing offenses, but they do rank number two against the pass. But specifically, an element that they struggle to defend is running back passes where they rank only 16th. And we know the Green Bay Packers Ranked number two in efficiency when throwing two running backs. So they're getting production out of these backs. Um, so looking at a yardage prop for Aaron Jones is something Ben's looking at. And the numbers and analytics certainly support that aspect of it as well. Uh, ben, I think we've covered a lot of ground on this one. I think that'll do it. Is there anything else that you want to float to the listeners before we sign off? No, I'm, I've been noodling around your first down is more important than third down thing for like the last hour. And I think it's a really interesting conversation that, you know, we should not do 75 minutes into a podcast, but maybe <laughs> on a later date. Yeah, let's definitely cover that. Um, one of the big things to me that I researched years ago uh, when I first started getting access to play-by-play -play data, Ben, and, and started breaking things down on a down-by-down -down basis was early down efficiency, the ability to bypass third downs completely um, and, and just get those out of the game. And I found a massive correlation to teams that are successfully able to bypass third downs to their ability to win games and cover spreads. And uh, this was, uh, God, like six, seven years ago. And I've been working with it ever since, making it a very high priority. So love to hear and see you dig into some of the first down efficiencies. And, and then, you know, we can discuss that at a later date. Would absolutely be fascinating with a smart, intelligent mind of yours. Oh, but wow. Wow. Uh, with that being said, guys, that'll do it for this episode of the Ringer Gambling Show. Love this episode every Wednesday with Ben. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back on Friday with Joe House to get all of his picks for this weekend's action. Thanks to Ben Solak for joining me, to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbeck for producing this show. We will see you guys on Friday.